Hey everyone, thanks for joining us today for episode four of Saving Face, a podcast dedicated to breaking the stigma around sharing hard to tell stories. I'm Ida and I'll be your host for this series. For our first season, we're asking eight creatives to dive into some of their most difficult personal experiences, many of which are often rooted in trauma and shame. Throughout each episode, we'll explore the ways these experiences have impacted their work and give our guests the space to reframe these stories as moments of growth, forgiveness, and love. Today, we're speaking with musician Sarah Lee. Hi, my name is Sarah, or um, as my stage name goes right on me, I am a recording artist from Maryland, born in Korea, and I currently live in Los Angeles. Sarah and I first met during an interview for Pigeons and Planes last year. I actually got, I got connected to Ida through a piece that she did on me and like I fucked with her immediately off of our conversation and like we finally linked up earlier this year, last year and then here I am. Born in South Korea before moving to Maryland when she was six years old, Sarah has felt the liminality of belonging to two worlds for most of her life. It's a duality she channels through much of her artistry. Her very name, for instance, brings together two contrasting personas, the temperamental Sailor Mars, known as Ray, and the sweet Sailor Mercury, also called Ami. Despite how different the two characters are, Sarah says she often oscillates between the two personalities, and both are true to who she is as a person. That energy shows up consistently in Sarah's music, with many of her songs juxtaposing punchy pop cuts with smooth melodies, rapidly shifting gears from empowering to sad, or from angry to sugar sweet. In our interview last February, Sarah told me that those transitions are indicative of her own emotional shifts every day. How we as humans can switch from feeling on top of the world to suddenly hating ourselves. And it's an experience she wanted to sonically bring to life. Even though indie, R&B, and trap influences all show up in Sarah's music, she has a rare talent for transcending those boundaries and making it all just work. That theme goes as far back as her first breakout track as Ray Ami, Make It Mine. The song was made during a hard time. She had just gotten out of a toxic relationship and was going through a bad breakup. And much of it brims with the boss-ass bitch energy many of us try to channel after a split like that, until the track suddenly transitions to a softer instrumental a minute and 45 seconds in. The lyrics don't feel very different, but this part of the song taps into the sudden sadness of losing someone you love, even if you know it's the right thing to do. For Sarah, Make It Mine was almost like a wake-up call. It brought her back to life and kick-started her music career, lifting her out of the intense depression she was battling at the time. The breakup was definitely a catalyst for me to realize who I really was. Mm-hmm. And, like, it it took such a toll on me mentally that, like, I had nowhere to go but, like, bottom low-key and have these tough, difficult conversations with myself, like, like, Why are you unhappy? Like, at the end of the day, you're unhappy because of you. Like, no Mm -hmm. one else can make you unhappy. You give people control over your life and your emotions, and you give permission for them to almost take advantage of it and make you you mad or, like, trigger you, you know? And so I had to have that really difficult, painful conversation with myself and really figure it out. It's like, what do you want? Where do you want to be? Like, what are you doing right now? And why are you unhappy? In many ways, music has offered a space for Sarah to dig deeper and to explore outside of reality. It's a pattern that goes all the way back to her strict Christian upbringing 
and how it's influenced the foundations of the strong, rebellious persona she channels in her music today. So I, I grew up in a very religious household. Like from the like before I was even conceived, my parents were attending church like religiously. Like they were evangelists. Um, if that was for like the Dominion part and shit. I never missed a Sunday service in my life up until I think like freshman or sophomore year of college. The intense, all-encompassing attitude of her church's culture heavily influenced Sarah's way of thinking growing up. When you grow up in a religious environment or like, you know, religion has the power to completely brainwash people, you know? Because it's like people seek out religion because they don't have the answers to the questions that honestly we'll never have the answers to, right? Mm -hmm. Like, why do we die? Where do we go after we die? Like these, you know? And when people have a certain void in their lives when they seek out religion, in my opinion, this is my theory, like you need to fulfill something with something that is so like mystical and doesn't make sense. And you don't have to go over, like jump over like hoops to understand because it's just a belief thing. It's a faith thing. You don't question it. You just Mm -hmm. believe it. It's easy. You know, it is what it Mm, is. And so when you get used to that kind of mindset and when you get used to not questioning things, you know, your critical thinking decreases, your ability to, to rationally think and pros and cons and facts and, and opinions, like that's out the window. Reason is gone. Right. So imagine imagine growing up with a set of parents where they so blindly believe in this set of rule, in these set of rules and like a way of life. You know, I'm an artist. I've always been creative, you know, and um, I've always expressed myself. I love expressing myself no matter how controversial or like risque it is, like, like, you know, according to like Asian ideals, you know, like shit like that. I've never been afraid of that. Naturally, Sarah's passion for the performing arts often felt at odds with her family's expectations. Her father used to say that she wasn't allowed to play secular music in the house. One time, for example, he caught her listening to Birthday Sex by Jeremiah, and he said that she was going to hell. I feel like people, like, when they're, like, they have, like, a sole purpose in their life, and my purpose was to create and to express myself through art and music, right? And... There was never a a time in my life where I doubted that, no matter how I, like, tried to suppress it. But, like, anyways, in high school, I got got the lead role as Vanessa for the musical In the Heights by Lin-Manuel Miranda. And it was, like, one of the coolest roles, and it was so fun. It was crazy. They casted an Asian girl for a Hispanic girl just because, like, you know, (laughs) like, it's high school theater. Like, what are you going to (laughs) do? But... (laughs) um, You know, I was so proud of how hard I worked for that role. And when it came to like opening night, you know, like obviously my parents came to every show and shit like and it was opening night. And like the show before that, I was casted as Ariel for The Little Mermaid and they saw that and they were so happy and so proud of me and shit. Right. Because like mm-hmm. The Little Mermaid's fucking innocent as fuck. Right. It's just it's a kid's show. Right. And the Heights right. is not a kid's show. It's sexy as shit. Right. But because I love creating and I love expressing myself, like, I loved doing that. And I was so fucking proud of how hard I worked. Like, I cried so many times during rehearsals trying to get it right. And I finally got it right. And so I'm, I'm like, opening night, I'm hyped. I'm pumped. So excited. My parents are going to see me. My friends are in the audience. I'm so excited. And the show right. goes so well. I kill it. I fucking kill it. And the first thing my mom says when I'm when we do our bows and everyone's coming out to the auditorium to say hi, like, she's like, you were dancing like a fucking, like, she didn't say 
like in in like a Korean and religious mom tone language. She was like, "You were dancing like a fucking whore out there. How could you do that to me?" Like, what would what would God think of that? Like, God is watching you right now. What what did He think about that right now? And those were the first words she said to you. Yup. N- not not a single congratulations. Not a single. I'm proud of you. Good job. Um, or like, I loved your costume there. Like, it was just. Who do you think you are? Yeah. To do that and embarrass me. Sarah describes how her church and its exigent demands ended up creating a complicated relationship between her and her parents, especially within their Korean immigrant dynamic. Like Christianity, it's it's so hypocritical. It's like, thou shall not judge. Don't judge others. Like if you're not God, you have no right to judge. But like, I feel like the most hypocritical, selfish toxic people I've met in my life attend church every every fucking Sunday mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know never never miss a Sunday service ever and it almost like when you're so consumed in it it's it's like you get this like superiority complex or this God complex like I'm holier than thou like because I go to church and I do what God tells me to do most of the time um selectively I'll choose so that I can feel like I'm better than you and I'm a morally better person than you and it makes me feel good and it makes it fills my insecurities and it's all about me 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 and how you're wrong you're bad you're gonna go to hell i'm gonna judge you i'm gonna do that and like blah 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 and so like low-key it turned my parents into narcissists i feel like mm-hmm. yeah it's like you will not embarrass me in front of the church the church members my my community you will not do this because you're gonna bring shame and dishonor and shit like that and like like shit like that it turn them into really selfish people but it's so crazy because like at the same time we have that immigrant story it's like yes my parents busted their ass off like to make sure to provide for me and my sister and it's like for that I'm eternally grateful because they had to sacrifice they had to do a lot of scary shit to make sure that my sister and I had the future that we had but at the same time all this other shit was happening and it's like these are shit these are things that I it's going to take a while for me to really let go of and forgive. Well, I mean, there's so much like there's so many different tracks running here. I feel like like yeah. <laughs> right? Like it's just like layered up on each other. I'm so chaotic because of this. <laughs> <laughs> it's maybe that's honestly why your chaotic energy is like all-time high. Yeah. But like cuz you've got like the pressure of religion and like the ideals that you feel pressured to subscribe to. And then on top of that, you have this dynamic of, you know, a child, a parent-child dynamic, which is inherently a power dynamic. It's impossible for it not to be. And then on top of that, you've got the immigrant story, but then you also have the Asian immigrant story. And like, you're also a woman. And it's like, when you start to think about all of the different (laughs) parts, (laughs) right. It's like the, it's going to take forever probably to unpack that. <laughs> and and I think that's why I'm always so confused about my feelings because there's so many contributing factors. Like I might think it's one thing, but really it might be the other 10 things, you know? Right, right. So much going You're on. Like where does this actual underlying emotion come from? Like I don't know. <laughs> exactly. And maybe if I had therapy early on, I would have known, but – that's not the case. So cheers to that. <laughs> cheers to having therapy now. How's you know what I mean? <laughs> Shout out Diana. That's my bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I think like 
what's really like interesting about your story is like the the way that people are using religion in what you've told me, it's weird. It's like it's like your parents, it almost feels like because it was so stressful. I, and you you hear this a lot with actually specifically Asian immigrant families, like because finding a spot in America is so stressful, like subscribing to the evangelical mm-hmm. structure can actually be a really easy way to build yes. community, right? That's exactly what happened. Yeah. Do you mind if I ask, was, was your church mostly Korean? Oh, yeah. No, it was like literally. So the church... I'm not going to say the name mm-hmm. just for like, totally. I just want to keep that. Um, but the church was, the headquarters was based in Seoul, Korea, capital of South Korea, right? Oh. And it had over um, like 120,000 members all over the globe and uh, um, like branches all like in 92 countries. Like it was, it's a mega church for sure. And um, when we immigrated, so I was born in Korea, my family, um, my mom, dad, and my older sister, we immigrated to Maryland um, when I was six, seven years old. And we immediately found a church nearby um, our house, um, which was an all Korean church. Um, and it was a Korean church that rented another church's, um, <clears throat> so it was, an, it was a Catholic church that we, that they rented after hours to do Sunday services. And you can see a lot of smaller Korean churches in America do this. They do this a lot with other churches. It's a common practice. And so we found the nearest church <clears throat> and immediately you're, you have access to a community. Right that speaks your language, shares your culture, shares your similar lifestyle. You know, they all move to the U.S. of like at some point in their life. That's why they're there. And, you know, it's easy as an immigrant, as as parents who are, you know, learning the new language and all of that. And they just want the best for their kids. You know, in their mind, the best thing is to surround them with things that are familiar and that are deep because it's Korean and it's traditional and this is how I want to raise you and this is how you were raised. So this is your safety net and you don't go mm-hmm. past that. As long as I can keep you here, you're safe and we're going to be happy. And so I grew up in with that mindset. My parents sheltered me heavily because and, – and also, you know, Christianity being a fear-based religion, mm-hmm. you know, like if you do this, you're going to burn in hell for eternity. If you got sick, it's because you committed sin and God is punishing you. No matter what you do, if anything bad happens to you, you deserved it. So like, you know, like if you take that concept and apply it to a rape victim – how ridiculous does that sound? And what does that say about the Christian God for you to say that that woman was, or or whatever, whoever it is, was deserving of such vile, heinous, violent right. acts? Like, you know, like nothing added up. And I, I, And the older I got, the more questions I started asking and just none of it made sense. And I felt that like that was a source or like a huge catalyst in like my man's mental illness. Like mental illness runs mm. in my family, right? But I think what really made it bad was religion and me growing up in that household and always having to prove to myself that I wasn't a bad person. Later on, a year or two after Sarah started distancing herself from the church, her suspicions and discomfort were ultimately validated when the leader of her church made national news. Soon after I, like, told my parents I wasn't going to be attending church anymore, like, two years later, I find out on the fucking news that the leader of the church 
is now on trial for um, sexually assaulting eight of his followers, young women, by the way, um, on 42 different accounts. And then he was eventually charged guilty and sent away to prison for 15 years um, for sexual assault. The news left Sarah with a lot of different emotions to process, especially in terms of her relationship with her family. Um, When that was happening, obviously, like, I, I... had a lot of resentment towards my parents for what they did to me and uh, in terms of like putting me through like the church and I'll get more in depth to it to it but like after I left the church and I told them I wasn't going to do anything with it um, my parents like we don't communicate like we sweep things under the rug like most Asian families we don't talk about our feelings we don't say we love each other we don't hug we don't do shit like that mm-hmm. whenever mm-hmm. anything happens any any kind of altercation happens we just ignore it the next day right and move on and so I I wanted to keep it like that you know but then mm-hmm. when I saw this on the news I couldn't just sit back because they were still involved in the church and I'm like at this point, I'm trying to understand, like, at this point, they're also victims because they've, they've been lied to, you know? Right, Like, they right. had no idea that this was going on and that the leader of the church was acting like a fucking fool mm-hmm. and an abuser. They had no idea. They're also victims. They had no idea. So at that point, when you are faced with the facts of what's going on, you do the fucking right thing and you leave. Right, right. And you do not associate and you do not support an abuser, right? And so... When this happened, I confronted my parents about it. I was like, are you aware of what's being said about this? What's being covered in the media? And this was on BBC. This was on like every major Washington Post, New York Times. This was on every fucking pub, like fucking newspaper. Like mm-hmm. it was inevitable. Like you, you're choosing to ignore at this point if you don't know. And so they, they, they knew what was going on. And I was like, why okay, why are you still involved? Why are you still attending this church? Why, else, why are you supporting them? Like, if if that was me, if I was, if that was your daughter, one of the victims, would you be saying the same things? Would you be defending these people? You know? And it's like, obviously the answer is no. At the time, Sarah felt like her family couldn't really give her a good answer. And she couldn't reconcile her own experiences and emotions with her family's beliefs. You know, and they couldn't give me a solid fucking reason other than some religious bullshit that that holds no merit, no nothing, makes no, it literally just so brainwashed. And I'm like, and it, it caused such a, a, a rift between my parents and I, our relationship that like, I just, I couldn't deal with it. Like, it was such a heartbreaking moment where like, damn, really, if I was in that position, would they defend me? Would they believe mm-hmm. me? You mm-hmm. know? Because like, yeah. in, in, in Asia, in East, at least East Asian cultures, women are still beta. They're second, you know? And, like, if something happens to you, you were asking for it, you did something, and it is your fault. And so, like, all those kind of, like, what-if scenarios, like, started. And, and I'm just, like, I'm very – I'm an anxious person. I play what-if games in my head. I overthink a lot, like most people. And so, like, those kind of scenarios were, like, filling up my head at that point because I was just so consumed by it. I was just so disgusted at the fact that my parents would defend an abuser, you know? Just just completely flabbergasted. Eventually, her parents did end up leaving the church, and the three of them were able to mend their relationship. But like many difficult experiences— That event was a huge catalyst for Sarah to look deeper at just how much her religious upbringing had impacted her mental health, her perception of herself, 
and the values she holds today. You know, that was such a shocking time for me. And then I had to, it forced me to almost like revisit every aspect of my life when I was in that church and to question the things that happened to me and that that were done and that were said that were out of the norm and that was not healthy Mm -hmm. and that was not right, you know? And so then that led to an an entire reevaluation of my upbringing and and it forced me to ask my, it actually provided a lot of answers as to why I am the way I am. And it Mm -hmm. also provided solutions to certain things that I want to change about myself as a direct result of my upbringing. So it's an emotional journey. It's, it's hurt. It's really painful, uncomfortable, but I am thankful for everything that's happened because I wouldn't be who I am. And I wouldn't have learned these lessons despite how difficult they were. I wouldn't have learned it if I didn't have to deal with all this bullshit, you know? Did you struggle with depression growing up? Oh yeah. And I I wasn't, diagnosed officially until I was like 16. Um, Mm. and my parents had no idea that I, they, they don't know, they didn't know I was on antidepressants for multiple years. They didn't know I was seeing a therapist for multiple years. Um, cause I kept that hidden. Cause again, the stigma of mental illness in in immigrant households, uh, is, is ridiculous. And I just didn't want to deal with that. Um, and also my parents had mentioned previously that mental illness was like a demon possessing you low key. So like, um, you really fucked up to be dealing with that shit. That means you're possessed by Satan himself and you need an exorcism. So I was like, I'm not about to get exercised, bitch. bitch. I'm going to keep this low key. Yeah. My head is, I'm not levitating, bitch. I'm not throwing up. I'm not doing any of that shit. So I went to go see a therapist, like a normal person. Um, But um, I, all throughout high school, you know, I blamed it on puberty. I was like, everyone goes through mood swings, we're hormonal, like, but like, depression obviously affects people differently, but how it affects me is just like, sometimes, like, I literally, like, yeah, like, I just want to die, like, literally, like, and I've, I've, dealt with suicidal thoughts I've no longer obviously but like self-harm was rampant in my past and like you know like and I didn't understand why I felt those emotions so intensely until like I finally like was in college and like my best friend like was like seeing a therapist consistently and she was telling me like all the benefits of it and obviously she's my best friend and I trust her so like I sought out my own therapist and my psychiatrist and you know seeking therapy actively consistently you know and and I was on different anti-depressant meds and um the the meds didn't help but like having an answer to why I was experiencing the things I was experiencing was the closure that I was chasing for so long is Mm -hmm. that like not only does it run in your family bitch and it's totally normal and that's beyond your control like that you can't blame yourself for that and also it's it's exacerbated by the fact that you had a tumultuous upbringing obviously and you've never had therapy until 16 and you're very well developed at that point there's a lot going on and a lot you've suppressed Mm -hmm. shit like that and so now I'm learning why I am the way I am and how to you know like practice healthy habits to kind of shift my mindset when it's when I feel like it's going left you know um do you but, still struggle 
Oh, sorry. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, I do. I already know the answer, bitch. (laughs) I was going to say, do you still struggle with feelings of shame and fear of disappointing your parents? Like, I think about some of the work you put out now. It's 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 brave. It's out there. You know, it's very not. I don't very like provocative. It's, I think it's provocative. Not something you yeah. would see like an Asian girl doing. Stereotypically, I wouldn't say that, but maybe not someone really? you would see someone religious doing. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like, I feel like obviously, like there are more like Asian faces doing, like just being themselves, just being human beings, right? And I love it. It's so fucking refreshing, right? But it's like. For someone with my upbringing, you just like typically wouldn't like actually no, you would totally assume the shit out of that because it's like if you've been suppressed for so long, you go ape shit and wild, and that's exactly what's happening. That's exactly <laughs> what's happening. But um, do I feel shame? Um, it would be a lie to say that I don't. I think definitely less now. Um, my parents and I have a pretty healthy relationship. I'm very happy with where we are, and they've you know. They support the career decision. They don't support the content, but that's okay because that's all I'm asking of them is just to support me in my dreams and just be there for me. That's it, you know? Like, you don't have to fuck. We don't have to. Mm -hmm. We can agree to disagree on the shit that I say in my songs and the shit that I release and on my videos, and that's fine because you're not going to change your beliefs. I know that. I'm not going to ask you to change, but I'm just asking you to just support me in what I want to do with my life and what brings me joy and fulfillment. And that's exactly what they're doing. But, you know, occasionally my mom will slip like comments here and there. Like when she calls me, like if I drop something, like when I dropped mac and cheese, she was just like, really? Like, really? (laughs) And I was like, yep. And so like, I think when she says shit like that, like, yeah, maybe a little wave of shame comes. But at this point, when you realize when you finally find something that is so worth all your time and energy and fascination, like when you really find that thing and you finally like get in the groove of like how to make that thing your entire fucking life and like your entire world, like, yeah, shit might get to you for a little bit, but it's so easy to shake it off because it's like, your the the love and and adoration you have for that one thing like it just dictates over everything it, it, it everything else is irre- irrelevant at that point no opinion no critic no hater no check no nothing you know literally mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if if you know what you're doing yeah. if you're secure in in your life path yeah those shady comments might get you down for a little bit but after a while you just like even forget like you're like oh shit oh that happened i forgot In her own words, Sarah's passion for music has helped save her in a number of difficult moments throughout her life. From helping her move out of a toxic breakup in college to acting as a place of strength and reassurance whenever she feels internalized shame now, music has been a profound source of energy for Sarah. It's a medium that's helped her explore, process, and come to terms with huge facets of her life. A true guiding force that she sees herself pursuing forever. Like, since I was little, and I always say this, like, music has been the only consistent thing in my life. It's Mm -hmm. always there for you. It doesn't tell you, like, whatever you want to listen, it's up to you. And it's just there for you. And I think that's why, like, people love music is because it's art. It is unexplainable. The way it makes you feel, there's, there's no explanation. It affects everyone so differently and so drastically. And 
music is literally therapy and and a, a, a life-saving force that's what it is for me and I can't imagine doing anything else and I think that's the reason why I fought so hard for it despite all the obstacles that I had to go through and I'm not saying that like what I went through is like terrible no I am fully aware I am very fortunate and privileged to have lived the life that I've lived mm-hmm. but Wait, I lost my fucking point. I think you were talking about that you... Uh, you said yes. Yes. You- <laughs> I think that's why I fought so hard. And I didn't give up when it came to music. Because I knew in my mind, without it, my life would be meaningless. And that is corny as fuck to say, but it is true. I cannot imagine myself doing anything else. Anything mm-hmm. else. That's not creative like that. And because of what it's done for me, like, that's why, like, it's just, it's life. It's just a part of me. That's why, like, whenever shit goes left, like, the music low-key gets better. Like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> it's triggered, you know? Like, I don't know. Like, music is, I, like, I just... I mean, I feel like that's one of the reasons why the things you express in your music are so strong. Like, they come across so strongly. Like, I've always admired how your music is so strong, for instance, on femme empowerment and, like, just, like, standing up for women and, like, women talking their shit and just, like, showing how strong they are. Yes. And, like, and I love it that, like, it's so validating when, like, young girls, like, in high school and, like, middle school are, like, and especially, like, girls that look like us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Must. and like hey like you give me so much confidence like you know like I don't look like like those basic bitches on TikTok or whatever like, <laughs> like like you give me so much confidence and like you make my day and like shit like that it's like damn like I, the fact that I can do that for you like I'm honored and like I'm privileged enough to do that for you like thank you so much like for like listening and bringing me into your life and allowing me to do that like thank you in some ways do you feel like you're almost talking to your own inner child to like yeah like a younger Sarah yeah no Loki I feel like if I had heard these songs when I was younger it would have been a rap I would have found the cure for cancer (laughs) at that point it would have been a rap and you know like like my like dictator like it is complete like and that I feel like okay and I don't really okay I was like on Vicodin because I was I had my wisdom teeth removed I was on Vicodin I was I was on Vicodin I was bored and I that's how dictator came to be I just got um uh what is it suicide boys type beat off of YouTube put it on oh, yeah. and we started recording right that's how it came to be but at the same time, like, you know, I was fresh off the breakup and like that breakup really put me in a place of powers, powerlessness, like complete, like I had no control over the situation in any way I was, and to be, to feel that kind of powerlessness is devastating, you know, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. it's, it makes you anxious. It, it literally makes you freak out. Right. And so dictator Loki was just like me taking back that power that I had lost, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was mm-hmm. just like, no, I'm the fucking shit. You listen to me and you do what I tell you because like none of this sh- bullshit anymore. I'm not doing this shit anymore. I'm not taking shit from anybody. Like I'm not. And right. I think that is why I try to channel the most extreme emotions to the fullest intensity because all my life I was told to remain just 
almost indifferent and calm and like not express my emotions and my my sadness or my happiness to the fullest extent because that was shameful. Right, right. Like you were expected to not be vulnerable and to not do wrong at the same time, basically. At all costs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely I feel like your work now is a reclamation of all of those things. Like, and Dictator is a perfect example. Like you own that shit and you were like, I'm going to be a boss ass bitch in this and I am doing that. Yeah. And I don't care what you have to say, you know, that's it. Like I don't care anymore. It's about me. Well, thanks so much for being here today, Sarah. I super appreciated getting to talk to you and I love your energy, your chaotic energy as always. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I love you. Oh, so much love. Thank love you. you. Um, I had so much fun. Okay, everybody go listen to Ida's podcast or I'm going to fucking kill you. Bye. Jesus. <laughs> Thank you all again for tuning in to our fourth episode of Saving Face. I'm Ida Yu, I'm your host for the series, and we hope you'll join us again soon. Saving Face is brought to you by Newfly Magazine. We'd like to give a special thank you and shout out to Matt Hong, our audio engineer, for making the soundscape for each of our episodes. I'd also like to thank Belinda Mann, who's helped co-produce the series with me, as well as Daniel Fung, who has put together our cover art for each episode. And of course, we'd like to thank our wonderful guests for having the courage and openness to share their stories. Thank you so much for listening.